Hello and welcome to this new episode of Sunflower Sutras. Today's episode is a special occasion. We are going to be having a small celebration of Pride as it is Pride Month. We're going to have a special interview with a local queer poet, Johnny Gale. But first, as is tradition with our show, if we're old enough to have a tradition yet, we're going to kick off with a classic poem. A little more contemporary this time, we have W.H. Alden's Lullaby. Lay your sleeping head, my love, human on my faithless arm, Time and fevers burn away, individual beauty from thoughtful children, and the grave proves the children ephemeral. But in my arms till break of day, let the living creature lie, mortal, guilty, but to me, the entirely beautiful. Soul and body have no bounds. To lovers as they lay upon her tolerant, enchanted slope in their ordinary swoon, Grave the vision Venus sends of supernatural sympathy, universal love and hope, while an abstract insight wakes among the glaciers and the rocks, the hermit's carnal ecstasy. Certainly fidelity on the stroke of midnight's pass, like vibrations of a bell, and fashionable madmen raise their pedantic boring cry, Every farthing of the cost, all the dreaded cards foretell. Shall it be paid but from this night? Not a whisper, not a thought, not a kiss nor look be lost. Beauty, midnight, vision dies. Let the winds of dawn that blow softly round your dreaming head such a day of welcome show. I and knocking heart may bless, find the mortal world enough. Noons of dryness find you fed by the involuntary powers. Nights of insult let you pass, watched by every human love. And without further ado, I am proud to introduce you all to our local poet feature, Johnny. Hi, nice to be here. And if I am to understand correctly, today we are going to be talking a special topic, special to me and you as well. We're going to be talking about the queer scene in poetry, and we're going to specifically be talking about how that pertains and somewhat circles back and forth with the zine publishing process. Correct. I know you listeners obviously can't see this, but Johnny has brought us several of their zines, and my goodness, I can't wait to get home and read all of this. I know you a little bit. A little bit. We should probably have a nice formal introduction with our listeners. Well, I'm Johnny. I go by Johnny the Poet, and I've been writing poetry for over 40 years. first started out when I was like 12. I was going through my things, my mom's things one day, and I found this little Mother's Day thing, and I had written out a recipe for her (laughs) because I'm also a recovering chef, so... (laughs) It was really cool. Um, But I started writing because I needed a way to like put these crazy thoughts down in my head. And the first thing I ever wrote was I was still very Christian based and very into my religion. I was raised Mormon. And so I wrote this song about Jesus. 
And um, and then I put it to music and they made me play it in church. So that was like the first success I had about poetry, writing and music. Because not only I wrote the thing, I was like, this is a poem. And then I got a guitar and then I was like, no, now it's a song. Immediately being thrown into the spotlight. <laughs> so um, so that was kind of cool. And um, I wrote throughout high school, but a lot of my stuff was really dark and like very angsty as most high school poems are and some of it comes from my history of being abused as a child so had to have a place to put that down and then when i was 18 i was in the society for creative anachronism and that they reenact the middle ages the way they think uh, they were oh okay <laughs> so you know and i read a couple of pieces at their open it was their version of an open mic and i had written this poem in the male vernacular to his lady and I read that one and another one, and they're written in Old English style, same meter, same beat kind of thing with the these and the thous and stuff. And I took home an award and pissed off a lot of people. <laughs> that is that is fantastic. I never heard of that society before, but now I dig it. Yeah, they dress up as knights and beat on each other with swords. And <laughs> it's yeah, it's a thing. Then I kept writing, but I was like hiding my writing. Or I was sharing it with my girlfriend at the time or whatever. And I hit it about 27 and I was I was still in college and I got a late start. I was 24 when I went in. I was about 27. And this friend of mine said, come on, you must go read. You must go read at the at the university. Let's go. They have. Come on. Come on. And so I went and I read and people did that. And I was like, oh. Oh, 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 I like this. <laughs> <laughs> so from there, I just started continuing sharing my words and going to open mics. And I got involved in the poetry scene in Tucson in the mid to late 90s. And as well as hosting some open mics and reading at open mics, I was also on the board for the Tucson Poetry Festival for four years. I got to meet a lot of great poets. And that's sort of like the highlight of my earlier career as a poet. The subject matter of that material, would you say it was a lot of just run-of-the-mill catharsis? Would you say it was socio-political? Like, what was it for you? Okay, well, so I have several. So, and that's why I split my books out. My first book, I took everything I'd ever written that I thought worthy of publishing, and I put it into this big volume called Catharsis. Catharsis is my artist statement. It's not printed out yet, but I have a volume. I extracted the stuff that was unnecessary called Catharsis. It's my survivor work. If anybody wants a copy, you can order one. I'll get them printed. That's my survivor work. That's all of my like early work, angsty stuff, and some of the stuff I was writing as I got older and started recovering memories. Then I wrote this big volume. It's called Myth of the One. It's all about love and love sucks and people leave you and you hurt me. And then I have some love poetry to friends and um, I have some self-love poems in there. Yeah. I also write sociopolitical stuff, so I put together Crisis of Consciousness, and that's got a lot of my sociopolitical stuff in it. It's, it's a zine. Some of the titles, When a Woman Expresses Anger, The War Cry, Apex Crew. And then I had to have a follow-up because I finally met my partner of 16 years. We met in 2002, and then I started writing a couple of poems about our relationship early on. You know, so I'm crazy in love. I got to write this shit down, right? <laughs> <laughs> So I wrote Absolution, which is sort of absolving myself of being so jaded about love because love does exist. And love is, I was taught a universal law. So that was Absolution. And it's, you know, surround sound, spaces, waters. And I've got one called Naked in Phoenix. And then the final poem is called Absolution. 
So you were a member of the Poetry Board in Tucson. Yes. What was it like going from being a pretty much established poet in Tucson and then you move here to Kansas and you're working your way up again? Well, we skipped a step. We skipped a step. Okay. (laughs) I had a crash and burn with alcohol. So I um, moved back to Phoenix. I grew up in Tempe and I was getting my footing there in poetry, but I also was on my career path as a chef. So I was also cooking for a living. And if you're an evening chef or a banquet chef, you're working crazy hours. There is no room and no time to get to open mics. Yes. Prior to getting the one job that I landed that helped really catapult my career, I had some time. I was a chef for hire and I I was working day jobs. Then I stopped working day jobs. So, And I was making some inroads in the Phoenix community. It's a really, really incredible community of, of poets. And what happened was our one venue went down. Mm. And they reestablished, but by the time they reestablished, I was not able to get to readings. So I did that. And so before we moved, I had reentered the poetry community in Phoenix and the storytelling community because I'm also a storyteller. And we made the decision to move to Topeka. This is a hard community to wire. Yes. You mentioned losing your venue. That and this kind of ties into our theme of today's episode. I experienced that and a lot of other members of the Topeka Poetry experienced that, especially us in the queer community when we lost Skivvies not too long ago. For us speakeasy poets, that was our venue. That was our home. And speakeasy started with Annette Billings and Sue Edgerton and, of course, lesbian women. So speakeasy, of course, now isn't just queer poetry, but it started out as queer poetry. And that's how people like myself got into the poetry scene is that it was just a safe place for queer people and it brought out the creatives and that was a hard blow losing that venue and having to find a new venue and now we have Noto Burrito where we do our speakeasy and that's where we found you was that speakeasy yes we do a yearly trek out here because my spouse is from Topeka and we had come out and sat in on the community novel writing project meeting one day and that's when I met Annette and she told me about speakeasy so when I figured out that we were finally moving here I was able to reconnect with her and say okay what's going on where do I need to go but because of what I do again I'm in a situation where it's really 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 hard to get out sometimes. I'm a caregiver. We're in a 24-7 situation. But yeah, losing venues is hard. Um, If I had discovered Caffeine Corridor in Phoenix, if I had gone like a year before when I could have, it probably would have been a little bit less of a blow for me. But um, I was just establishing myself and I was meeting some of the like top of the line slam poets and people ask me, are you a slam poet? I'm like, no, I'm a performance poet. Well, what's the difference? I don't care if people hold up numbers and judge me. Slam poetry is a whole... That is a divisive topic, yes. It is, it is. So I'm really... And I've tried it a couple of times and I'll go do it for fun, you know, and I'm friends with Matt Spezia. But where I found my home, where I really found my home was in the zine community. Good segue. Tell us about how that actually started. Get us the nitty gritty. Zines are a great way to self-publish. They're a great way to put your work out there without having to go through the angsty process of finding a publisher or sending your stuff off to, you know, for five or 10 or $15 on a reading fee and may or may not make it into the publication. There's also a great arena to make money right now in poetry online. You just have to be plugged in, which I am and I haven't sent my stuff out because, you know. I get shy. (laughs) 
but there's there's a lot of great opportunities to publish through some online publishing venues right now. I've done three zine fests now, and I found that there's just this open, wonderful energy, and there's a huge queer community inside of the zine community doing poetry, doing stories, talking about stuff. And, you know, they're telling their coming out stories and they find it a very safe place. And somebody said the other day, I was reading some stuff online and they said, I have found the zine community. A lot of the zinesters are aggressively introverted. I think that makes perfect sense, honestly. I really do. (laughs) They sit back at their tables and they do whatever they're doing. And they don't care if you buy their stuff. You just look at it and they're like, okay, hi. Maybe they don't say hi. But it's really because it can be overwhelming because a lot of people, because sometimes they're in really small spaces and a lot of people come in at once and they want your stuff. Yes. (laughs) And you have to talk to them. Is there any definitive difference between a basic chapbook and a zine other than the fact that the zine is a continuing process? This is a really, really good question. And it's one I'm struggling with. I don't see a difference. What I see the difference between a chat book and a zine is a chat book is clean. It doesn't have the backgrounds. It doesn't have like you don't have stuff behind it, right? A zinester will sit there and lay things out and put images behind their words and do like the strip text, you know, the white band of paper with the black text over imagery. Yes. Um, whether it's borrowed or their own or whatever. So a chat book is basically clean pages, what I call clean pages, and a zine is words overlaid on images. I call all my stuff zines. This can be a chat book or a zine. Um, I have two full books. Myth of the One is 80 and Catharsis right now until it goes through a really hardcore editing process is, is at 100 pages. And I may have to do two volumes on that. I made this little Buddhist zine and it's an introduction to how to meditate. I'm also a photographer, so I do micro zines, which is a a sheet of eight and a half by 11 paper. You print out whatever you want to print out, then you cut it and you fold it. There's some stuff online you can go find out how to make them on YouTube. They're really cool. I never really considered zines to be a platform for images. Like I've only ever considered it a platform for word-based art. I was into zines when I was in Tucson, and we had a coffee shop that always had a full rack of zines available to read. Political zines that used every space available on the page and um, up to like just very minimalist sort of pieces of work. So I was exposed to them and I published in a couple of zines that were going on around there back in the mid nineties. I started putting together my chat books in 2000 and 2001. I did Myth of the One, which is a full book and that I published in by 2003, I think it was finished. I got back into it this time around when I was still in Phoenix and a photographer friend of mine, we were talking one day and she was doing a zine called Bad Goth Poetry and she was doing a zine based on her old live journal blogs. Do you remember live journal? Very vaguely, but yes. Live journal was a blogging format and it was uncensored. Anything went. And I had a live journal, but she really like had a hardcore live journal. And one of her first zines was called Maneater. (laughs) so she said i have to introduce you to this person i said okay she's like you have got to meet carissa carissa lucille came out of the journalism program at arizona state university and decided that she was going to do what a lot of people did she needed a format to publish her work she was creating some zines and so she's putting calls out so i've been published by her several times and i've got to put one in her new zine coming out she runs about three or four of them 
she built a distro, a zine distro in Phoenix. So Wasted Ink Zine Distro in Phoenix, Arizona. It's Carissa Lucille. Right now she's focusing on perzines, which a perzine is your personal story. Oh. Then you can have zines like, you know, topic zines. You can have topical zines. You can have photography zines. She puts out a full page photographic zine called Femme Fotel. She has a group of photographers, women photographers in Phoenix. It's really, really beautiful zine. It's full page. They still call it a zine. Zine is short for magazine. Yeah. So it's a magazine publishing, magazine format, magazine publishing format. So she started publishing me and I was doing storytelling and I was like, okay, I'm going to put together a zine. And so I was coming to terms with, I identify as genderqueer, but I was struggling with the term trans. Yes. Because I am not physically transitioning from a female to a male. I present male, I wear male clothing, I have short hair. But what gives me the right to use the word trans if I'm not going full on? And that's settled in my mind by saying, well, you're not going full on, but trans is a scale, one to 10. 10 means you're transitioning all the way. One means you're not, you know, somewhere in between. You have top surgery, okay, but you don't have bottom surgery. Okay, where on the line are you? You know, how does your brain work? I'm a transgender queer human being, And so I put together this zine called, Please Don't Call Me a Lesbian, I'm a Freak. And that's because even before I moved back to Phoenix from Tucson, I didn't feel like I belonged in the lesbian community. My brain just doesn't work that way. And I tried for years and I tried for years and I struggled to fit in. But there's a lot of conversations and a lot of things that happen in the lesbian community that is non-relatable for me. Yes. It's a lot of woman loving woman stuff and it's like if you are not a woman then you kind of feel left out but it's like you're also a queer individual and for the most part these are also other queer individuals and there's still some exclusion even in these little tiny enclaves and if i don't present a identifying female sign then there's sort of this I'm an outsider. I've been an outsider most of my life. So I'm like, okay, I will make my own people. And I found my people in the BDSM kink community. Mm -hmm. That is where I really started flourishing in my gender identity. That's how I started cultivating who and what I am now. And so I put together this zine that talks about all of that. And it's taken from journals I had written. One piece was going to be a performance piece and it's like my zine friends back in phoenix wants wanted me to read from it and i haven't read from it yet because i'm kind of scary <laughs> performance piece so there's so much you can actually put into these zines you can put basically a scripts in here too mm-hmm. yes monologues things like that monologue that- dialogue i mean i could put in like i have some dialogue i've written i could make a zine out of dialogue um my focus right now is i'm gonna knock out some per zines but i also have two recipe zines we were calling them cookbooks but they're recipe zines because finally once my spouse got exposed to the zine community and what was <laughs> going on they were like they started rethinking it and they were like no wait we put out zines. I'm like, yes, we did. And so far, now that I'm in the zine community, I put out the recipe zines and people are eating them up because they're, they're vegan recipe zines. Oh. And there's only like one or two more in this area. So we went to Kansas City and I went to Omaha and those two zines are selling the best. Any literature genre can be a zine. Pretty much. Wow, that's yeah. cool. 
Comfort food for vegans. Comfort food for vegans. Yep. Now this I can stand behind. Not to digress too much, but how do you find out about these zine fests? How do you find out about them? Well, five years ago, it was really hard because there wasn't anything really being published yet. I went looking on my friend, the internet, and I found Kansas City Zine Fest, Zine Con. They go by Zine Con. Through Kansas City, I was able to find out about Omaha. And then I found out about Denver. And now you can go online and there's several websites that list as many zine fests as they can possibly find. And there's specifically queer zine fests. Ooh. There's one in New York City I want to go to so bad. But when I was doing the chefing thing and I was doing chef demos, I was trying to get into these veggie fests that are nationwide. And when I first started doing that, there were only like a handful and now they've exploded. Yes. And the competition is fierce. And if you don't have like 10,000 followers on <laughs> Twitter or Instagram, and if you're not a known figure, they really don't care about you. Mm. Yeah. But my physical being has started to deteriorate and it's harder and harder for me to do that kind of work. Yeah. So going and sitting at a table for eight hours selling work I've produced is a lot easier than going and prepping for four hours and doing a one-hour demo. Yes, <laughs> yes. The cleanup is so much easier. <laughs> and it's easier to get into the fest. You know, they have a certain amount of tables available. Kansas City has 100 and Omaha has 100. So you only have a certain amount of tables. So you have to be like one of the first people that applies. Hmm. Then you're pretty much guaranteed to get in. So you've got your foot in a lot of doors here. <laughs> I, fingers and pies, fingers and pies. Fingers and pies. <laughs> so what is the step-by-step -step protocol you go through when you're making one of these zines? First, you have to have content. <laughs> <laughs> That's important. So content is really, really important. A lot of people decide on a focus. So what am I focusing on in this particular zine? Because you're doing 8 to 16 pages. Some people go as high as 32, but it's easier to sell a four-page or an eight-page than it is to sell, you know, a 28-page booklet, which is another term for a zine, booklet. So I have to have content, and um, I was able to download some templates. And you have to be really, really careful because when you're putting together a book, odd even, odd even pages, there's a way you have to put it together to make it work when you go to print. So you have to really work like two hands coming together kind of a correct. format. So you have to remember, you know, what content goes on which page and am I following it correctly? So I do this in Word. Word, when I go to preview the print, will show me how it's previewing and if I've got my content right. So then you lay out the content and then the fun part about it is export as a PDF. And most publishers will take your PDF file. And so PDF will print your booklet out for you in the proper format. And if you have a machine that does double-sided, yay, my machine won't. So I have to manually watch the steps. And I probably wasted about 100 pieces of paper trying to get this printed <laughs> my freak zine because I wasn't doing it right. And I finally said to my spouse, you know how to do this. Help me, help me, help me. They're like, you know how to do this. You do it. And I'm like, no, please help me. I'm wasting paper. And they're like, okay. See, I reeled them into the whole zine thing. And at first they were like, no, no, no. And now they're like, ooh, I need to make a zine. Ooh, this is really cool. Ooh, Denver, yes. And if I'm lucky, Albuquerque in October. So hmm. yeah, definitely Kansas City in September, which is September 8th. So there's a process. It's a printing process. And you have to know that. And there's some templates you can download 
to help you. So this might be a silly question, but do you manually buy yourself? Is this all your dime? You printing these off and stapling these? Is this old school or do you send the PDF off to a publisher? Well, that's a really good question. I've been begging for a long reach stapler for five years and I finally got one <laughs> because the cost of printing the zines can be pretty high. You get a $5 staple fee. So in order to save costs, this time around, we're going to print ourselves. Now, the recipe zines I send to a printer because it covers our color and I can't get that high quality at home. They do a pretty good job where I go. So those two get sent off. And then the photograph zines go over there too, and they don't cost that much, but because they're on this special paper. But like the Buddhist zine and the freak zine, the Buddhist zine is a yellow cover, and I can go get this yellow cardstock at an office store. I went and bought 24 pound paper, which is what you want to print on. You don't want to print on 20 pound paper because it's too flimsy. And this time around, we're going to run these two, the Buddhist zine and the freak zine ourselves and staple mold together so it's a mix and match bag yeah i want to produce them myself mm. i have limitations yeah but most zinesters like some of them like if they're at a college or a university they have access to the fancy print yeah. so they can do it for free and so they charge two bucks i have to charge five dollars because of my copy cost yes so now if my copy cost is lower i can charge two or three dollars this is, for the most part, a complete DIY process. I I have some friends in Milwaukee that are part of the punk queer community. And so, to be honest, I really didn't know that much about zines until they introduced me to zines. Mostly info-based. Things about contraception and about queer femme identities. Right. Topics like that. So, I figured... Okay, femme, queer, info, political, these are all what zines are for. But it wasn't until much later that I really found things pertaining to art yes. in zines. So I thought that it was just a very cheap, easy, effective way to spread information. It didn't at all click with me that it's also a cheap, easy way to spread your art. On that note... How do you feel, not to make things too much of a capitalist venture, but how does this affect you as an artist trying to get sustainability off right. of your artwork? Right. I think with Omaha, we cleared. So that was good because you have to clear your table fee and clear your printing costs, right? Yeah. That was the first time I did it. I don't go in thinking I'm going to make money. I'm not a capitalist. <laughs> I'm really, really bad at selling myself. And if I can get this in your hand, you're going to give me $2. Yes. You know, um, and I did. And I started doing the mix and match. And once I started doing the mix and match, people were like, oh, okay, $8 for two of the $5 zines or, you know, $12 for two of the $7 zines. The deals. And so if you give them the deals, I find they sell better. For me, there's a satisfaction in creating my own thing. Yes. I made this and I get excited about that. I got back from the printer with my recipe zines a few years ago and I was like, look, 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 I made, I made this, I made this. <laughs> the recipes, they've been tested and tested and tested. This isn't just recipes that I just think are fun. These are things that I took seriously as a chef and I did testing and I had recipe testers and I had people helping me with input and I listened to it and I took that input and I converted it into a zine. You're you know? proud of yourself. Yeah, you, it's a sense of pride. It's it's like, wow, and then people are actually going to see my stuff, and that's really amazing. I find satisfaction in doing it, you know, and I don't have to feel bad when a publisher denies me. <laughs> <laughs> 
I understand that. I yeah. understand that completely. Yeah, as poets, it's really hard to get published. It's really hard to get out there. You know, there's well, a lot of it is it. very competitive. You've said that at the very beginning of this, and I find that to be incredibly true. Whenever I try to submit something, a lot of the poetry, especially, is tied around contests. Why should art be competitive? I understand. Or you print it yourself. When you go to readings, you say, hey, here's my book. Buy it. That, <laughs> see, that is, the, that is the exciting thing. I've been to plenty of open mics where people will introduce their pieces and say, I hope to someday put this into a book. And then you have other people that are just like, here's a chapbook I just now made this afternoon. It's literally hot off the presses. Four bucks. Yeah. Pay me for my art. Yeah. If you like my art, pay me. I very much admire this direct method. I've just kind of been, honestly, this is silly to admit, but a little naive about the process. So this has been very informative. A lot of people are naive about it and don't quite understand why would you want to print it yourself? Don't you want like a real publisher? Don't you want to like blah, blah, blah. And having been in the food blogging world and knowing a lot of food writers and how they are starting to bemoan the fact that even if they do get a book printed, it's hard to get it sold and then people steal it. Yes. And do you know who Amanda Palmer is? Yes. Okay. Yes. So Amanda Palmer thinks it's like, okay, so people are stealing my shit. Okay. You know, she's on Patreon almost exclusively now. It's sort of like a form of flattery to me if somebody like takes my stuff. But this one food author was put a rant up on Facebook about how somebody stole her book and the whole PDF is available online for free. On a flip note, I have another friend. He's a sex educator and author in the kink world, Lee Harrington. He will, if you say, look, you know, I'm strapped and I really want to read your book, he will provide you a PDF copy hmm. for free. So not to take away from the legitimacy of content producers like your friends that you've mentioned, but with them, they're providing information. They're providing lessons essentially and you are an artist and this is your artwork this is your unique productions what is the content protection that you have with zines and chat books i have to admit i sometimes get worried about putting up my own material it might be a little narcissistic but what if someone steals my work and claims it as their own correct i spent a lot of time with that one and i had to come back to well if they steal it, they steal it. I already had one of my pieces stolen from me a long time ago, every single copy I ever had printed, and it was from an ex-girlfriend. So I've already been through that, and that was painful, and that was hard, and I, I spent a lot of years in anger over it. Mm -hmm. I retrieved the poem finally. So I've already gone through that experience with an ex. It, they didn't take it and use it out in the world and make money from it. In the zine community, there's a certain level of respect. And there's a lot of trading going on. So like, you know, if you can break away from your table and go trade with other people, they love it. That's what we do. We trade zines and, and, and we get to read each other's stuff. You know, and again, in the food blogging world, there was a lot of stuff going on about people stealing recipes. You can't copyright a recipe. Now you can copyright your zine, but you also have a poor boy's copyright. You remember what those are? Mm. A poor boy's copyright is if you put on it that it's copywritten, even though you don't have it in the Library of Congress, that protects you. Basically, the law says if you've written it and you have date and you can prove it's yours and you have an original copy, 
which is really harder to do <laughs> with our technology these days. But if you slap a copyright and the year on it, you're covered. So if somebody steals it and you find that they've stolen it and they're trying to sell it as their own, you can take them to court and win. Hmm. So it has a level of its own protection and mm -hmm. you have a respecting community and it sounds like, at least with you, that you have a safeguard with your online content. Yeah, I, I try to anyway. There's people who put their zine, their full zines online, and you can go and read them. It's really amazing. So I'm going to read a few pieces that's going to span the spectrum. When I was younger and a lesbian, I didn't necessarily write about being a lesbian. I didn't write coming out poetry. I wrote one to my parents. So... My focus was, I'm in love, and here's all my love poetry. Yes. Right? Which, you know, I'm so over now. <laughs> <laughs> so over the last several years, I've been writing more about being genderqueer and my queer identity. I'm going to read this one because it is Pride Month, and this is called Fierce, Fabulous, Genderqueer. To all of the trans queers out there who walk in the world, as you are wearing fabulous clothing and makeup, or none at all, to all the buzz cuts and bathroom warriors... I thank you. To those of you who do go through the hard work to become you, I applaud you. To those who have lost families and made your own, know that I stand as one of you. To those who wear the scars on the inside, not the outside, who cannot reveal the truth of self, I honor you. I stand to give you strength to find the voice needed to say this, this is who I am. I did not shave my head until my mother was dead. I did not embrace the term queer really until I was 50. Only my close friends call me he, because even though others see me as he, they still use the correct pronoun, she. I finally stood up and said, this is who I am, declared it publicly, and I am here and genderqueer, and while I've tried the label trans, it still doesn't suit my fluidity. Gender is too elusive to hit the T. All of my life, I've been on the outside boxes and labels fit like oddly shaped clothing. Lesbian, fag, gay, these terms did not quite seem appropriate. So today I take back that word I used long ago, queer, queer. And I say to you now, this is who I am. Not quite male, not quite female, two spirit embodied in Levi's and T's. Today I say to the world, I am genderqueer and I am fierce and I have a place in this world. So do you. Reclamation. This is a poem I wrote to my parents in my early 20s. My mother didn't push me away, but the rest of my family were like, oh, sinner. Reclamation. I wish you could see me. You're still forming hypocrisy, not letting belief arrive. You are unhappy with me. Have I let you down so far you expect no more? Tell me what is wrong with the way I feel love. I wish you could see the smile on my face because I am happy. Your heart should know, but my words fall short of the mark. No longer is truth seen. You think I've lost the track. You didn't bring me up wrong, so why should you feel sad? Feel glad because I can sing. My eyes shine bright when I think of what I know. Still, you close your eyes. Turn around. Test the strength I have with the things you twist around. The shrink said I'd never come around. Well, look at me now. I can sing a song. It opens my soul. You still think I'm a child. Well, I've grown up. I'm a woman now. Will the hypocrisy stand until you or I pass away? One day reclaim me. I think you will be proud. So my spouse is uh, Mexican heritage, and I'm in a lot of conversation about privilege, color, and I hadn't really 
understood what privilege was until recently. Because I grew up poor, I came out queer, I was poor and queer and walking in the world and getting a lot of flack for it, and I never felt I had any kind of privilege. My African-American girlfriend tried to teach it to me. I was still not getting it. So this is brand new. I wrote it sometime last year, and I have not read it. Skin. This color betrays me. It tells you I am a liar and a thief. It speaks of generations robbed of their homelands and homelands stolen. It tells a story, one you might not know. Not quite ivory, this color speaks to you of privilege, able to move through the world without judgment or intolerance. But I can tell you I've seen my share of pain and anger as someone who is different. I might look like the garden variety of lesbian, but underneath there is something else. And while I can walk without shame of color of skin or accent or language, there is an undertone you may not know. Privilege is a word I do not know. Money and status elude my grasp, and not quite woman, not quite man, door shut, and I'm left standing in the cold. Working for years for those who would not promote me, I didn't own the right equipment, passed over time and time again because of this difference. Working to find the place where I could stand on my own, but my skin tells you I am the enemy, that I live on the higher end of the food chain. This is far from my truth. Let my skin tell you that I've had my share of devastation, been called names, denied my rights. You can marry and have children. Your love is legitimate, while the preacher, your preacher, screams from the pulpit that I am sin embodied because of this form. This form, these thoughts are who I am at the core. And if your God made me wrong, then I am that sin. And if you look at this skin and read history, read this, I will not be slaughtered because of my lack of privilege. This in the past has been my signature poem. I'm also turning this into a video poem and I'm over two years into the production of it, but it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to get the right shots sometimes. Validate me. I want to say I bought a new shirt today, and I want you to say okay. I want to say that I put my shoes on one at a time this morning, and I want you to say okay. I want to say that I painted a picture, not with words, but with a canvas and a paintbrush, and I want you to look at that picture and say, what were you thinking? I want to say that I made a nice soup with lentils and potatoes, and I want you to say, did it taste good? And I want to say that I went to the cafe today and met some really weird people, but they were really nice, really weird people. And I want you to say, what did you talk about? And I want to say that I brushed my teeth this morning. I got dressed. I went to work. I got out of fucking bed this morning. And I want you to say, wow, that's great. I want to say that I didn't take a drink today. And I want you to say congratulations. And I want to say that I talked to a tree today. And the tree told me just a little bit more about life. And I want you to say, what exactly did the tree say? And I want to say that I rode my bicycle 50 miles over some really gnarly hills. And I want you to say, were you tired afterwards? And I want to say that I smiled at a child today and she smiled back. And I want you to say, gee, that's nice. Because I want validation for my life. I want recognition. I won a Scholastic Art Award in a citywide competition in junior high and they didn't say anything. I made the honor roll as a sophomore, but not as a junior. And they said, why did your grades drop? And I didn't say because I skipped a lot of my classes to go get high out by the railroad tracks. And I was out buying liquor for my friends under age because I could. And my friends liked to drink and so did I. It made me popular. And my friends would say, <laughs> you're funny. 
And it was only after I left home that they framed my drawings and hung them in the living room. It was only after busting my ass for six years in college and making the dean's list that my mom said, I always knew you were the smart one. I want to say that I ate a candy bar today and I want you to say what kind. And I want to say that I went to the grocery store with a budget and a list and I bought all the items on the list and I didn't go a penny over and have you say okay because grocery stores are scary places for me and so are buses and restaurants that I don't know. But I can walk down the street at 3 a.m. without a weapon and feel absolutely safe. Validate me. Thank you, Johnny. You are welcome. And before we bid farewell to our wonderful spotlight poet, I'm going to ask if there's any plugs you'd like to make because we are shameless poets <laughs> and we want all the info. Shameless plugging poets, yes. All right, so let's start off with my Patreon account. You can go to Patreon and support me. That's patreon.com slash Gale. Uh, that's my given name. I go by Johnny. That's my mom's nickname for me. Then there's Diecast Poetry on Facebook. So if you just put in Diecast Poetry, two words, that'll come up. You can find me at artisticnomads.com. That's mine and my spouse's uh, website. And we each have a section. So I have my art, brain dump vlogs, uh, my zines, some artwork and photography you can buy from me if you feel so motivated. You can find my recipes, my vegan recipes at kitchenshaman.com. You can find me Tumblr. I'm not super active on right now, but it's Johnny the Poet on Tumblr. Twitter and Instagram is at John Gale. And my Instagram is usually like photography <laughs> and weird shit that happens in my day. And I think right now that's it. Thank you very much, Johnny. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been fun. Yes, this really was fun. <laughs> And today's submission is brought to us by KC poet Jeanette Powers. Jeanette Powers is an artist whose primary medium is poetry. She investigates how poems can fit into alternative spaces, including visual art, comedy, storytelling, performance art, and illuminated manuscripts. Her poetry explores emotions and habitual behaviors with a healthy dose of tattletelling on the stranger-than-fiction life she leads. She heads the generative performance arts venue Uptown Arts Bar in KCMO and is a fellow resident of Osage Arts Community in Bell, Missouri, as well as being the treasurer for Fountainverse, KC's small press poetry festival. Today we have her piece, Pretty Is As Pretty Does, from her new collection, Gasconade, brought by Night Ballet Press. Mom was the height of 80s fashion, with two long braids, knee-high tube socks, and day-glow wrist and head sweatbands. And she's singing Aretha loud and strong while she's mowing the big front lawn. And I'm messing with the Great Dane in the backyard, humming softly when her screams started. And I stopped the whole neighborhood. And I go hellfire running around the driveway where she's screaming, Go get a shoebox! 
Children are so frequently mystified by the behavior of adults that I just quick-stepped my way to the front closet, dumped a pair of galoshes out, and came back running with a cardboard box for who knows what and what I wish I hadn't seen one second later when my mother gently makes a bed of mown grass for a little baby rabbit who's seen the meaner end of a lawnmower blade, and I'm seeing more than I bargained for about what makes a bunny hop. Breathless, brave, and beautiful, mother calls Aunt Zoe because apparently she'll know what to do in precarious small animal injury situations, and off we go down Johnson Drive to her house where mother and I leap from the car, bearing forth as sudden emergency nurses or maybe pallbearers because Uncle Mike has told everyone he knows just what to do. He takes the little box and peers at the little rabbit and shakes his head a bit with the dolorous whistle. We follow him to the backyard where he turns to us. Best place for a dying rabbit is in front of a hungry cat. Adults are mystifying creatures, all right. And nothing seemed quite so pretty after that. And for you listeners at home, it's that part again I'm sure you've become familiar with, my call for submissions. Remember, we want everything. No matter what shape, what size, what smell, we want it all. Remember, you can send your submissions to tara.bartley at yahoo.com or you can go to our new Facebook page, Sunflower Sutras. Thank you so much for listening. Salon Gafol. I love you, Marsha. I love you, Sylvia. Rest in power. <laughs>